0: Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for
1: stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Today's reading comes from John chapter 10. I am the Good Shepherd.
0: we're believing for that fire, Pat. We're believing for it. Amen. Hallelujah. just kidding. I mean, not kidding. I really want that fire and the volleyball. I don't have an opportunity too often to like show my volleyball skills. So anybody, anybody else play volleyball? Yeah, I didn't really. You did? Luke, nice. All right. Well, I'll see you down there. Um, I feel like we need to have a special blessing and prayer uh, today. I'm glad the hand sanitizer is right up here next to communion. That's good. Um, (laughs) uh, My last question, and this is always such an interesting and divisive topic here at Sanctuary Church. Um, But uh, how how are we doing? How are we? How are we imagining for those that are engaged in um, sports? uh, How are we imagining the NBA final? Are we thinking Lakers Celtics? I did, wow, that was just like quiet. Oh, I just want to pray a special blessing upon, uh, upon the Celtics. And today, they need it, man. Tatum needs to, needs to be the star. That everyone says he is. I'm going to move from the Celtics to ancient Hebrew. And my guess is those are like the same thing for a lot of you in the room. <laughs> Jesus In this passage, um, and all of these passages that we've been looking at in this series is making these claims about himself. There's a lot of claims about Jesus out there, a lot. There have been throughout the centuries. There's a reason our calendar, vision for human rights in the West, literally our vision for ethics in the West, all root themselves back to Jesus. And so there are claims about him as a teacher Claims about him and especially about his followers what that says about them. And Jesus, um, in this series that we've been doing, as we've been exploring the three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in historic Christian orthodoxy, there's this understanding that God is in some mysterious way, three in one. And so during Lent, we took six weeks just to explore God the Father, the Father that we long for the ground of our being, when we talk about the divine and when we talk about spirituality as followers of Jesus, it's not a vague impersonal force, but it is this God the Father articulated throughout the scriptures and history. And then we've come to Easter, tide, the Easter season, and we're exploring Jesus now. And Jesus makes this claim, I am the bread, I am the light today, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate. All these claims and this phrase, I am, was translated and taken from the Hebrew in the Old Testament when God the Father has this interaction with Moses. And when there's a question about his name, he says, I I am, which is really clear. The point being is that Jesus' claim, what we can't get around is Jesus is not just a good teacher because he is explicit in multiple places, including these I am statements of claiming to, in some, again, mysterious way, be God incarnate, the fullness of the divine made known to us in flesh and blood. As many have written about this over the years, C.S. Lewis is the one you who know, I think famously like codified this idea of like, please don't try to make Jesus just into a good teacher. A good teacher wouldn't, be, wouldn't say the things that Jesus said about himself. That'd be much more, much more akin to a madman. And so Jesus claiming to be God in the flesh in this day and age with all the religious claims that float around about who Jesus is, and, and in this day and age especially with the amount of people telling you that you should follow them and you'll find life. You should follow them, you should follow this corporation, you should buy into this product, you should follow this way of thinking about the world, this particular ideology, this particular politician. A lot of people are making claims. And in this passage, There's so many different places that we can go. A lot of preachers will tend to, and I've done this before, we kind of lean into the shepherd motif specifically and what that looks like. But I wanna zoom out to really the proper context and what Jesus is getting at here, which is really about leadership. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Here's what your life will look like if you surrender to God. If you give yourself over to him, he's addressing a core longing of the human heart am I a good leader? Who are you being led by? In the same way he's talked about source when we talked about I am the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the source of all love and freedom and grace and peace. This is a claim about leadership because he's looking at the Pharisees. If you're new to the scriptures, these are the religious elite and they're doing a really bad job leadership. in leadership. They're not leading the people well. They're sowing discord and they don't get and they do not see clearly what Jesus is up to. He's just in the passage before healed this blind man and that blind man actually comes up at the end of this passage. If you wanna go home and kind of study this a little more later. Actually, we may even get to this at the end. At the end of this section, it's referenced again that the disciples, the Pharisees and the religious elite are like, we don't like your power, we don't like the way you're doing things, we don't like when you're doing things, like they're on the Sabbath. And there's healing, they're showing all this discord. And Jesus makes this claim, like, you know, it's funny, the, the blind man gets it. It's funny how it's the poor and the hurting and the broken and the people that were healed and the people who have trusted me and surrendered to my leadership, they seem to get it. Earlier on in this section, he says the sheep like, can hear the shepherd's voice. They know the shepherd's voice. And it's interesting because the sheep, the people, the populace that are there are learning actually to follow Jesus, that he is actually the good shepherd. There's a lot of suspicion about leadership in our day and age. Like this, this is, I feel like, not that we're like the greatest moment of suspicion around leadership ever. I always hate when like speakers lean into that. This is the greatest moment of whatever. It's like, okay. But I, I will say, does anyone else feel the, the deep suspicion around leadership right now? The deep suspicion around any kind of authority? You're sitting there and now like, yes, I have suspicion about you. <laughs> Someone dragged me to this and this religious institution is exactly the problem. All right, we have problems. We, we rightly so. I think in so many ways, this is the information thing that's happening right now. We are exposed to more data, more information, more news stories than ever before. I can say that confidently. Ever before. And so we are aware of just how broken leadership can be. It's been said, like, don't meet your, like, your heroes. Everyone heard that phrase before? Yeah, it's like now your heroes are on Twitter. It's like the worst just, just be quiet and play music, or just be quiet and like dribble the basketball. Just be quiet and like solve that cure to cancer. Like I just always imagine like Mozart. Anyone know like Mozart was not a stand-up dude. If a Mozart had a Twitter feed, dude would have been canceled. Never would have heard so much of that great music. That's not to say I don't think bad leadership should be exposed. To be clear, <laughs> less I get emails. But man. There are so, uh, I was serving on a political campaign. Like I've, I've shared this story before, um, before I ever became a pastor. Never intended that. I was in this band. band had kind of fallen apart. Like I had hedged everything on this. Um, I was doing some like design projects and needed to get out of the city for a little bit. I needed to wrap up my degree. And so I figured out how to spin uh, my a couple of my professors to give me independent study to go work on an older mentor of mine who was running for Congress in the first district of Massachusetts. And so I go up um, to serve with him and help out and ended up, like, getting myself into, like, a higher position in, around the marketing thing due to a fluke situation. So I was kind of in, like, the guts of this, this like, this campaign that was starting to get bigger and bigger. And there was so, an interesting thing. We believed so much. His name was Matt in Matt just like moderate at the time, there was, that was such a thing, I don't know if you knew that, moderates used to be a thing, and um, it's wild times, and uh, in nuance, he was, but he, he had this like incredibly nuanced approach that even at that point, you know, it just didn't play, and so he came to like, the, had to come to the same sort of sloganeering that so many other politicians have to come to. I promise this and I promise this. And we're in New England. I don't know about you, but if you grew up in New England, you know anybody who's like, I promise to. Immediately you're like, hmm. There's like, you are discipled into being a person of great suspicion. You are discipled into being a person of like, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. And on our own campaign with a man that we really adored personally, we found ourselves as we like pushed slogans and we're trying to get like the people's attention, right? Well, we got to do this. It's part of the evil of the thing. We can't really have a long nuanced conversation. We just found ourselves growing like tired of our own campaign at times. Just the other day, I was going to dinner uh, at some friend's house, and we're driving up the hill to their house, a pretty short hill. And I was evangelized to like 18 times on the way up this hill by yard signs. And I have this experience. No, like, like, like not evangelized, like the gospel. I was on the east side of Providence, so that's not a thing. And so I'm driving up this hill, and it's just like I should care about this and I should care about this and I need to make sure I do this and I need to make sure I, I mean, it was all over the place, right? From political to various ideologies. And I was like, there are a lot of yard signs. And it culminated in this one. If you could show the, the, the May one. Yeah. Did you know about no mo May? I didn't know about this. And so I roll up and my, our friends live in a particular area that were like, there's a lot of well manicured lawns. And then this one lawn that had the sign was like, the grass was growing up. I didn't even know. I can, pre, I can help save the bees by not mowing my lawn. Now you know. I'm not like, I mean, this sounds like there could be a great thing. As followers of Jesus, we obviously are stewards of our environment. Like we should be leading the charge on asking good questions about how to cultivate like the earth well. I just thought it was so interesting. I didn't see this one coming after being hit again and again and again. No moment. Okay, cool. I guess I should not mow my lawn. This, by the way, is how people can feel really good about, like, changing the world. I'm not going to show my cards too much. I'm all for this, by the way. I'm not like, if you're, if you're like, guys, no more may. Um, truly, no more may. Who do we listen to? Like, who do we allow to lead us? So much suspicion about anyone who is saying, follow me and you will find life. Follow me and you'll find life. Follow me and you'll find life. Here's the thing though. I think we long to be led. We long to be led. Who can I trust to care for my heart and lead me into the future? Now in this text, we have the shepherd and the shepherd motif is is everywhere. It's everywhere. Spends time with the sheep. Shepherd spends all this, like, incredible time with the sheep. Um, I, I've taught on this passage, and and um, uh, it was fascinating as I was doing research around the shepherd. There really is, there's, like, videos of, like, like tons of sheep and different um, shepherd sheep all mixing together. We're talking hundreds of sheep out there in, um, uh, out in the plains. This is one who's was in Pakistan. And then the shepherd made this very obscure call. I'm not going to try to do it, but it was, like, this, like, strange noise, like a, Like something like that, but it wasn't Cardi B, but it was something like that. And this game, I don't know where that came out, Cardi B the shepherd. Um, and, And it was just this strange, strange, like call. And sure enough, it was wild. You watched the sheep that were attached to that shepherd leave and part and go to them. Shepherds were known, and we see this in this same passage, of laying in front of the gate of the sheep pen. they would create these makeshift sheep pens to guard against any sort of intruder, any wolves, and the shepherd would lay down or stay up late in front of the gate making sure that no one got in. It's this like intimate relationship. Now what's interesting and important to point out is that um, throughout the Old Testament, uh, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, and actually beyond even the Judeo-Christian tradition, kings, rulers, um, rabbis, were like the shepherd was the number one um, metaphor for leadership, which is clearly not the case today. So we come, sometimes have a hard time with this metaphor. But this is what they were. Are they a good shepherd? Which is, do they care about the sheep? Do they really care about the sheep? Now, most people think this, uh, this came out of the fact that King David was a shepherd boy and he is like the alpha and alpha and alpha of all leaders in the Judeo-Christian tradition. But it was like, do you care? Do you care? Do they know your voice? Do they trust you? They would look out at the shepherd and they would see, not just like gentle shepherd, right? Like with the staff, like with the sheep around his shoulders, like carrying, you know, those pictures if you ever grew up in church. It happened Sunday school? No? Okay. Um, I love that about it. <laughs> no, most of you are like, Sunday school? No. Just became a Christian yesterday. Love this church. <laughs> Truly. And so it was so, um, so interesting to learn that even that image of a sheep around the shoulders of a shepherd usually were because that staff, right, That staff that we think about like the comforting me in Psalm 23, that staff was also used if the sheep got out of line and ran away, the the shepherd would use it to break the sheep's legs to bring it back if it kept running off and running away. It was a place of also discipline. So the shepherd was both gentle, cared enough to do the hard thing, it was a vision in so many ways of actual love, volitional love, love that wants the best for the sheep. So kings and politicians and rabbis, if they were good, they were a good shepherd. And if they were bad, they were a bad shepherd. We'll see this in a moment in Ezekiel. Now in our moment, I think many of us default to, like, I'm not really gonna be led by anybody. I will let Jesus consult me a little bit, some wisdom here and there, maybe a little tidbits on the journey. Little coach for a season. I'll even let you maybe mentor me, but at the end of the day, no one is really going to lead us or lead you. And here's the thing though, if you don't, if you don't consciously choose a leader, you will be subconsciously led by someone else. If you don't, this is from John Tyson, if you don't consciously choose a leader, you will be subconsciously led by someone else. I love that. Because it's true. You will be led. You are not walking into a clear future. And so my assertion to you this morning is that we all actually crave good leadership. We crave it. We desire it. We want it. There are many uh, in the church world, especially that I came up in over the last like 10 years, that talk a lot about um, how, what church leadership should look like and if you've grown up around the church, there's these, um, these gifts that are meant to help everybody find their place. If you've ever heard of these, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, teacher. Wow, I had a moment. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And so trying to help people identify their gifts and lean into their gift. And so it was said at a workshop one day that I was at, why don't we just get rid of like any kind of uh, formal leadership or elders or a pastor and we really just like flatten the leadership. And, it, and this was asked to the guy who was saying, no, no, we really need to do a better job empowering the gifts at the top. And so I'm ready for the guy at the top, his name is Peter, and he just, uh, I'm ready for him to say like, yes, absolutely level the leadership playing field. It should be a totally egalitarian flat space. Any of you know leadership dynamics? That's the word there, a flat leadership space. I'm ready for him to affirm, like, yes, and he goes, absolutely not. Everyone's like, wait, what? This is everything you're talking about. You're, like, trying to push this radical edge of how we think about leadership. He's like, no, because without leadership, a vacuum forms. So what you need is healthy leadership to push that apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, to push that desire to be led back onto the people to let there be actually a healthy leadership culture. Does this make sense? We naturally, what he was saying is what we see sociologists talk about all the time. We see leadership gurus talk about all the time. There is a natural inclination that we cannot shake to be led. Everybody follows somebody. All of us make decisions every day about what's important, about how to treat people, about what to do with our lives. And these decisions come from what we believe about every aspect of our existence. We got our beliefs from somewhere. We have been led. We have been led and we have been formed by a complicated mix of people and places and parents and teachers and artists and scientists and mentors in social media, we are taking all of these influences and living our lives according to which teachings, which ways of seeing in the world we want to make our own. Culture naturally leads us if we let it. Or we can choose politics or religious leadership that is all too often like in it for themselves. This is Jesus's critique what he is going at in this passage of the Pharisees, accusing the Pharisees and the religious elite and the leaders of their day of bad leadership, of not really caring and loving the people. In the same way we can get swept up, swept up so, so easily into being led subconsciously by the voices around us informed by that. We can sometimes fall prey to saying, all right, I'm just going to go ahead and put my trust here in this particular ideology and it's an ideology or a leadership that doesn't care about us and this brings us closer to the context here. Every commentary I looked up about this passage referenced Ezekiel 34. Every single one. So I want to read from here. This is what most uh, scholars point to in saying this is what is um, being sort of brought up in this situation. Woe to the shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend to the flock. You have not strengthened the weak. You haven't healed the sick. You haven't bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. There's a failure to care and tend. They were using the flock for their own purposes. Using the flock for their own purposes. If you don't lead, right, out of godly vision, by default, you kind of have to push from behind when shepherds, um, when a shepherd pushes the sheep from behind, they scatter, and when the sheep scatter, the shepherd usually has to resort to things like dogs to round up the sheep. This is what broken politicians. This is what broken religious institutions do. It pushes you from behind. It pushes you into a future and demands that, like when you can't keep up, like it, 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 it um, it unleashes guilt. And it unleashes shame and condemnation. So you might be moving forward, but you're not moving forward out of any kind of free heart. It's being pushed from behind, manipulated. You've got to love, Eric Chinesky says, you must love those who lead before you can be an effective leader. You can certainly command without that sense of commitment, but you cannot lead without it. And without leadership, command is a hollow experience. So I'm about command, I'm talking about pushing from behind, a vacuum often filled with mistrust and arrogance. And this is the environment of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. He is critiquing their leadership. As I mentioned this, um, not to have the shift into how we should lead, but a recognition that many of you have experienced this kind of leadership before. Many of you have experienced this sort of push Some of you, again, maybe it wasn't in a direct politician, political party, or ideology. It is simply the way in which you've bought into a particular worldview, and you actually feel it driving you towards a particular aim. You feel it from behind, not compelled from the front. So if we don't go political or religious, we often default to this idea of shepherding ourselves. I'm just going to lead myself. In our cultural moment, maybe more than ever before, I think we can insist that we aren't really influenced by any person. We can fall into this trap. Yes, yeah, sure, I guess I'm sort of shaped by that, but ultimately it's my decisions. Science just says no. <laughs> People will say, I think for myself, and it really is an honorable perspective, but the problem, right, is the person that says that got that perspective from somebody. They're following somebody, even if they insist it's themselves. So many issues with this. The big one being that we're slaves to things in our own hearts. Slaves to things in our own hearts. If I mentioned, um, hey everybody, uh, like it's probably, if you have an addiction or some like really like broken habit, and I was like, hey, would you just come on up here and just share that broken habit with us? Just share that addiction with us. My guess is that you would be what? Embarrassed, yeah. The very fact that there are things in your life Miss or mister, I have control over my whole life. I'm leading myself, thank you. That you have things inside of you that are like, I would not want to put that on display. I would be embarrassed if anybody knew that. I, 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 no, no, thank you. Says something about our ability or, or lack thereof to be led. This sort of kind of pulls, I think, the cultural forces kind of in to reinforce this picture, but also like, my own failure to lead myself over the years, I was on a plane um, just a couple days ago, um, flying back from Chicago, and uh, all of a sudden, there was a dog underneath my seat, a little dog. There's a dog on the plane. There was a dog on the plane. And then it rubbed up against my leg. I like dogs, this is a very cute dog, but there's a dog on the plane, loose on the plane. Some of you are like, what's wrong with that? That's sweet. Someone really needed that dog to be with them. I get it. I love dogs. It wasn't like a cat. I mean, if it was a cat, it'd be like, like, but Nonviolent. is a joke. Sorry, Harper. My my nine-year-old daughter's like, daddy. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Clearly, Oh, I don't want to say clearly, I don't know the whole story, but this person had let the dog loose. And finally, the, the, we, I, I was able to, like, usher the dog in the aisle and get it towards this man who was sort of thankful, but also sort of, like, I think annoyed that I touched this dog. I, didn't under, I Like, your dog is running on an airplane. Like, anyway. And I was just filled. I'm just going to be really honest with you. Like, my ugly. Um, you can come up to me after and share yours. Many of you already share your ugly with me, so that's good. I can return the favor. I just thought there, I just the, the script in my mind, you probably can already imagine what it is. Like, this is really a thing. This is really a thing. This is where we're at in society. Oh my gosh. And this person is gonna give me attitude for helping get their dog that they should have had lashed up. And I just go like wide. Anyone else do this? Anyone else go wide? Like this is what Laura said? Sorry. You. <laughs> I have a few friends who are like, mm-hmm. I just went wide. Like what is wrong with the world? Like everything that's wrong with the world. Somehow I was manifesting like, "Ah, oh, dude, let his dog go free," and it was okay. I was like thinking about the ability to like inability to contr- like move me towards the gentleness and love and grace of Jesus in that moment was just really sad, really sad. And again, to a more deeper, like, degree, just the ways in which if I got up here and shared all of my, like, dark habits and things that are going on inside my soul, I have a rough time doing that. It's like ways I find myself enslaved to my habits when I do not choose the leadership of Jesus. Psychologists have basically said that what ends up happening in our lives is that we think that we're free to make decisions, but we're actually not free. There are these thousands and thousands and thousands of subliminal cues that have shaped us over time. Our parents, our time of history, our nation, our origin, our family dynamics, our college friends, our high school friends, our employers, the media. And all of this is like the background forming this almost invisible subconscious web. And we think we're making rational, autonomous decisions, but they're actually controlled by all of these micro points of information. It results just in a cognitive bias where we can just can't see beyond these invisible forces that are shaping our lives. There's a giant myth of autonomy and personalization in our culture. And many people, many people who say, no, let me just take control of my life. Let me edit it. Let me curate it. They end up finding that the algorithm is their shepherd. I know we hit on this point a lot, but we have got to pay attention to this. Jesus comes up and makes a claim, a leadership claim. And his claim is that I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm different in my leadership than any other form of leadership. I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep, John ten fourteen, and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. I must bring them in also. He's thinking beyond his tribe, Jesus, in this time as a rabbi. He is fulfilling prophecy that you see in the Old Testament of things going wide, welcoming in the Gentile. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it in again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down. Jesus wasn't like a revolutionary that like his whole thing fell apart. No, he was after the human heart and willingly said, I'm going to lay my life down, show you what leadership is, disrupt the leadership like deficit and brokenness and leadership powers that be. With authority, I'm going to show you what a servant leader is. This is the beauty of Jesus. Comes in with all authority, power, and might, and then washes the feet and says, come. amazing. Jesus releases another kind of leadership in the world. Kind and gentle and strong. And strong. Have you ever asked, <laughs> this is a new question for me, but what would the world be like if everyone just submitted themselves to Jesus? <laughs> Seems like maybe an obvious question, but I, I've asked it more seriously as of late. Just read through the Gospels. Jesus' life, his whole life was tending to the flock, strengthening the weak, healing the sick, bandaging the injured, bringing back the strays, seeking and saving the lost, washing people's feet, welcoming outcasts, blessing and loving those with sexual brokenness, bringing together the most culturally diverse group of people you can imagine, political terrorists, zealots, like zealous tax collectors, those who, like, who like, betrayed the empire, teenage fishermen. He's able to gather them all together into this new humanity, and these folks are all willing to submit themselves to the leadership of Jesus, talks about this again and again. Luke 15, that parable talking about sheep and the economy of God. God will leave the 99 to find the one. It's extraordinary. This apparently is the nature of the divine, the nature of God. There has simply never been anyone like him in history. And this is the reason I think that people in Providence, in greater Providence, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts still follow him. They still follow him. And I think it's a surprise for a lot of people I think some people are surprised that you go to church on Sunday and it's not just out of some, like, maybe some of you this is it, but some just, like, random tradition. My guess is that some people that are really surprised would be surprised that this room is full of folks, like, many of whom are younger. I think people would be surprised. And I don't think they should be when we actually look into the leadership of Jesus. You're not being pushed Driven from behind with the dogs by guilt or fear and condemnation. You are led by a vision that has literally brought the hearts of so many people in this room to peace. Amen? Is that your story? Right? You healed me and I've witnessed it. You've loved and I've witnessed it. I throw up my hands again and say, lead me more. I want to submit more to you. I think where would I be? Where would I be if I hadn't let Jesus like lead me? Well, so it was funny just to take you back to the plane for a minute. I'm sitting in that seat, and just before the dog situation, where I uncovered like the ugly in my heart about not just not allowing Jesus to lead me in this, and making all these like big, big swooping like judgments in my heart. I'm sitting next to these, these other folks. As some of you know I struggle sometimes with certain personalities and accents that come from south of the Mason-Dixon line. I'm getting better. Um, I really have grown to actually love Southern culture. It's just taken me a long time. And there's these guys sitting next to me who've had a bit to drink. Um, and they're just, they're like a little rambunctious and loud. And like, I, 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 I just kind of had this moment of like leaning in and felt a real prompting from the Lord to like lean in and over to them. And um, they were on a father-son baseball trip. Uh, They were going to different parks. We were in Chicago, so they had just flown to Wrigley Field, and now we're flying to Fenway. And they'd been delayed all day. Like, delay. they missed a flight. They were on standby. They got pushed again. So they were just, like, a little rowdy, a little, like, but they are like, mostly fun-loving. It was a situation that easily could have triggered the same exact thing that dog guy triggered. Instead, I found myself literally thinking, and this is my new prayer that I pray. It's like a, if I believed in praying to the saints, it would be praying to St. Fred Rogers, to Mr. Rogers. It was literally like a little, Lord, what would Fred do? Which is like, what would Jesus do? But like a particular saint incarnating, what would Jesus do? It's an invitation for me. I know it sounds silly, but it's an invitation for me who tends to be a, a l- like a little, a little intense to, to, to breathe deep and be gentle, be gentle. And so I just turn over these guys, I smile. We start talking about baseball and father-son stuff and where they're going to go and making jokes about our plane probably won't make it because they haven't made it. For, you know, just all this, like, going off, and guy buys me a drink on the plane. It's just, like, this, like, sweet, sweet, sweet moment. And I wasn't planning on telling those two stories, but as I was, like, looking through my sermon again when I got home on Friday, I immediately thought, wow. You could see the places where I submitted to the leadership of Jesus and just the everyday, normal things of life that produced gentleness, a free drink, and like <laughs> and like a real opportunity. mean, I've been thinking about that, like the sweetness of that. I should take my dad on a trip like that. found myself literally praying for them. And I thought of the ways, like, man, I just was not willing to submit to Jesus' leadership in this moment. And allowing all of these forces of just suspicion and angst and cynicism like leak in and sit there quietly judging dog guy. Jesus is saying there's a kind of leadership you can expect if you will submit to me. I think of the times, oh, is there a Bible up here? Grab me a Bible, Greg. thinking of the times that, um, thank you. Man, preacher doesn't have a Bible. You're gonna be more, I'm gonna be more embarrassed when I uh, begin to read the passage. I have, it's like the passage everybody has memorized, but I'm gonna read it. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Because of your leadership, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I was just thinking, when I don't submit to the Lord's leadership, it's like I am my own shepherd. There is no peace in my soul. There would be no still water. I'd be in the valley of the shadow of death without comfort. There'd be war with my enemies, not a banquet in the presence of them. I think when we're honest and we take a good evaluation, life under your own leadership is hard. But in submitting to Jesus... I and so many others around you have found hope and freedom and purpose and call and a loving community. That's the story of so many people in this room. They've given their lives to Jesus. They've said, okay, look, even though I have suspicions in my heart, even though I'm terrified, maybe for you, it's like church hurt. You're like that little joke I made about not trusting me. Like that wasn't a joke. Like you have experienced serious hurt in the church. Maybe today will be the day where you hear his voice and you trust his invitation. Maybe you're like, you know what? That does sound good to trust in Jesus' leadership. I don't know if I can like, step, step fully into that yet, like, like the incarnation of his, of his life and leadership in the church yet, but I can begin to say yes again to him. Bishop Harris says this, the good shepherd proved and illustrated his own good shepherdhood by sympathy and love. It was by no flash of splendor or miracle of external power that he proved his divine leadership over the hearts of men, but by coming to walk with them, to toil and hunger and suffer with them. He entered into mortal life by the same lowly door of human birth, being born in a manger. He passed through it by the same path of toil and daily care. Friends, if you're resonating with any of this, I want to invite you to respond. If you're like, if he's really laid down his life for me, I can really trust that. And maybe the call today is just to say, yes, Lord, you can be my shepherd. If you're struggling with something, you feel trapped by something, you need to find freedom in something. You just need to experience his leadership through someone else. I wanna invite the prayer team up. There's gonna be prayer ministers that are here in the corner. You'll pray for me. They'll listen to God for you. Maybe you're here and you have a really important decision coming up and it has not crossed your path to actually submit yourselves to Jesus. You submitted yourself to every other voice, but to ask, what does Jesus think about this? What does it mean to step wholeheartedly into this? And to say, Jesus, will you be my shepherd? Will you show me the path of love, of forgiveness, of grace, of joy, of peace, of wisdom? Will you show me? Will you show me? show me. Maybe you just need the tender care of a shepherd this morning. Friends, we have enthusiasm in so many areas of our life. Some of y'all at 3.30 when the Celtics start playing, I'm going to see that enthusiasm is going to fly up. Like let's have enthusiasm, especially where it matters most here in this moment, right now, right now. The shepherd has laid down his life for us. And so the other thing I want to invite you to, and normally we do this all together in a very formal way, and so this is a little audible for our team, um, but I just want to invite you um, to come if you'd like to come and take communion. And if a line ends up forming, great. So if you'd like to come forward and take in really like the, the, the scene of the shepherd laying down his life for his sheep to take in the cross where Christ laying down his life for us, then I invite you too to come. So whether it's to come to kneel, come to receive prayer ministry, to respond just where you are, maybe you need to go to your knees and submit yourself to his leadership all over again, or to come and take the bread and the cup. We're just gonna do a little all play for a few minutes. And as Olivia leads us in this song, this sweet, sweet reminder, I love this song, I will never walk alone, I've never been abandoned. You are my deliverer. You are my leader. For those of us who today can just say, yeah, I've witnessed that leadership. I just need like a I don't need anything. Just going to just going to praise him for that leadership. Let us lean in in this moment with all that we have. Sound good? We good? All right. I love this church so much. Holy Spirit, would you lead us? You've been so faithful to lead us. We have no desire, Lord, for some sort of polite, buttoned-up Christianity. You have come to us. You have laid down your life for us. You have revealed, Lord, your passion for us. So Lord, whatever little step we can take, or whatever leap we're ready to take, we say, Lord, be our shepherd. Be our shepherd in this. Be our shepherd in our lives. Be our shepherd. We shepherd us. Will you, as Psalm 131 says, it's quoted today, we mother us. Will you guard us. We father us. Holy Spirit, would you come? If you're willing in this moment, as we, as we begin to step into these invitations, just under your breath, if you're willing, we just pray, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. So I encourage you to come, I encourage you to respond, stand to sit, to kneel, to pray, to come take communion. Let's engage together, friends.